What's up, everybody? I am back in the big chair after a, uh, a little hiatus from, uh, from hosting this little podcast. Nick Malone, I'm going to fire it up right away. Uh, how did you feel about the guest hosting duties? Uh, the power went straight to my head. And I, I wielded it like a sword around the old neighborhood block parties, and uh, it was it was delightful. Uh, excited to be right back in it, uh, albeit in a supporting role this tonight. You know, let's talk about the look for just a second. You've got a mustache going on. You've got hair that looks like it's sort of from 1996. Yeah, there was a lot going on. Um, I feel like everybody knows that podcasts are truly visual mediums, so I like to you know come prepared for these types of things. Um, Buddy uh, in the neighborhood, Dr. Joe, has been deployed. He's coming back uh, some point in July. We don't know. But we found out that he and his squadron, he's an Air Force helicopter pilot. We found out his whole squadron, they're growing the mustaches. So in the neighborhood, dad's out of solidarity. We're growing them too. When he comes back, we're going to have a big old welcome welcome back party for Dr. Joe. That's pretty cool. And we're going to have sweet, sweet stashes. So this is about nine days of growth. <laughs> and um, the hair, I'm just having a midlife crisis. I'm going right back to 96. And uh, the Cliff Booth shirt, who doesn't like a good yellow Hawaiian shirt? Come on. It's a good look. You've got a uh, a Miles Teller, Top Gun Maverick kind of thing going on oh. with the with the shirt and the mustache. I feel like you're about to play at the piano. Um, Jason Thompson, welcome back, buddy. You were on the show not long ago. Um, happy birthday, which was yesterday. I love That's the fact it. you are wearing a New York Knights hat, and I am wearing a Wonder Boy t-shirt and that was not planned but i think that's pretty amazing serendipity strikes again my friend serendipity strikes again did you uh see raiders yesterday you said that there was a local screening of raiders of the lost ark did you do it so i got ambushed um wow. it was beautiful um had a lovely day planned uh got up did some gardening it was great my girlfriend said hey we got some place to be we're gonna leave the house at 320 sharp it was like okay so she's like, drive here, drive here. Okay. I take the left. I take the right. I go straight. Boom. We walk into this movie theater and I spotted my sister and her boyfriend walking into the theater. I was like, Janet, you got my sister made a three and a half hour round trip for a two hour movie. I didn't know what we were watching. She kept it for me the whole time. And I walk in. It's my dad. It's my uncle. Oh, uh, it's my stepmom. I, it was so, and I didn't know what we were watching. And so I was like, I couldn't think. You know, it's a Sunday. It was like, there's no movie premiere. And I look over and there's in the back kind of tucked away. There's, oh, special screening Raiders of the Lost Ark, four o'clock. Wow. I thought he was going to say they're tucked in the back, Steven Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Steven would love to visit Detroit. (laughs) When was the last time you saw it on the big screen? Have you seen it on the big screen before? I did see it on the big screen. Uh, There was a really great independent theater near the neighborhood I lived in in San Diego. Unfortunately, the pandemic put them under. But they would do theme months, midnight movies. And the theme month that I went to was the 80s. And they did Back to the Future, the director's cut of Blade Runner. Um, 
Nice. Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I forget the fourth film. I think it might have been The Karate Kid, um, but it was it was a blast. That was the last time I saw it on the big screen. Um, and Raiders is very specific and special to the four people on this show. I have a very special uh, place in my heart for Last Crusade too, because that was a one of the very first films that I saw with my dad. You know, he had weekend custody and all that. Um, so in the driving rain. On the last night it was showing at this tiny theater in Michigan um, that only had two screens, we saw Last Crusade. So wow. uh, I recognize that Raiders is probably the better film, but I have a soft spot for Last Crusade. And I'm really, really, I mean, let's let's be honest. Dial of Destiny is getting all of our money, all of our money, probably twice. That, um, that's a great pivot. Hey, look, look what I've got. I've got this uh, little oh! Indiana Jones action figure. This is from like 1984. This thing is old, really old. Speaking of Dial of Destiny, Jim Kamlick, I was going to ask you, like, you know, that's coming out in a couple weeks. I'm starting to see the ads. How are you feeling about Dial of Destiny? The reviews coming out of Cannes were not good. I'm going to answer your question, but first I have to tell you, I just looked down at my microphone and it's got delousing compounds still on it. From when we did Shawshank. <laughs> I, I'm looking at it, I'm like, what is all over this? And I'm like, oh, I haven't used this since we did Shawshank. So I had to, I had to give it a good clean. Um, I am uh, I am hopefully optimistic on um, the Dial of Destiny. It does already have some of my money for the first viewing. Um, I will be seeing it the night before uh, I leave for uh, for Connecticut and for Fourth of July weekend and um, bring it. If you guys keep coming on the show anymore, I'm going to have to put you on the payroll. So um, – on the last a couple episodes ago, Jason, you were on and we talked about Heat, which was a, a fun conversation. I had a blast talking about it with you. And you introduced your, your battery rating system, which is basically the higher number of batteries for the remote control, the higher the watchability of a movie, right? So, I, you know, around that time, I started thinking about what's the opposite of that? You know, like what's the, uh, the antithesis of that, which is like bad movies and how far are we willing to go to watch a, a, a bad movie or what I would call a, a good bad movie? So... I started thinking about this a little bit, you know, during COVID too. I remember like we were all holed up in our, in our houses, couldn't go outside. And I remember I found myself one night watching Youngblood with Rob Lowe from like, I don't know, like 1983 or whenever that movie came out and really liking it and finding myself like drawn to like mediocrity. So I, I guess like the goal of today's conversations, I want us to talk about why we are drawn to bad movies um, or good bad movies, I would, as I would say. But here's an appetizer. Name, I want each of you guys to name a film that you guys will watch whenever it's on. If you're, you're sitting on your couch and you're channel surfing at any hour and a, you come across it, you know you've got better things that you could be doing with your time, yet it's there and you come across it. You know it's not very good, but you watch it anyway. Give me one from each of you. Jim, I'll start with you. But you're saying a movie that's not bad, that's good that I'll watch. Any movie that like is, might be a guilty pleasure, anything that just comes to mind that you're like, I'll always watch this. Well, I don't want to ruin anything on anybody's list, but I'm gonna, I'm just going to throw out first thing that came to my mind, Commando. Commando. Wow. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love it. John Matrix. It checks a lot of boxes, right? It's, it's it, a good, it it's checks a good, a lot of boxes. It's a good two-hour sit. I love it. Love it. It's 90 minutes flat. You go with Commando, and uh, I go with uh, another uh, Schwarzenegger classic. How about uh, Kindergarten Cop? I stroll through the cable. Kindergarten Cop comes through. I don't turn it off. I watch that whole thing all the way up into him and dealing with Crisp in the bathroom at the school and and getting the gun out of the – it's phenomenal stuff. I love I it. I got to tell you, the uh, the mother and son bad guy villain, co-villain combo that they had going on, wasn't it like a mother and her kid yep. that yep. was like the yep. bad guys? 
Yeah. yeah. Bad villains. She hits she hits the kid the kindergarten cop's partner with a car and then the <laughs> she says, You're not so tough that's your car, huh? I watch it every time. It's been Delightful. some time Delightful. since I've seen that. We've got Commando and we've got Kindergarten Cop. This is a favorite of yours. It rates very high on my battery scale. I know it's a favorite of yours, Dennis. 1989, Rowdy Harrington's masterpiece, Roadhouse. Wow. Awesome. I love it. It makes no sense. The fact that there is a renowned cooler slash bouncer throughout somewhere in the Midwest um, a town that is straight vigilante justice out of an Eastwood movie set somewhere on the outskirts of Kansas City. Um, it has my full attention. Kelly Lynch is a snack. Um, <laughs> Sam Elliott redefined cool, you know, like old guy cool. He just looks greasy, but somehow cool in everything he's in. Awesome. <laughs> I'll watch it anytime it's on. I don't give a damn. Absolutely. So, Jason, we just watched um, – you probably saw it on social media. We just watched Dirty Dancing for the first time as a family. And it went over sure. – it, it was like an 8 on a 10 scale as far as it went over. Alice didn't. She's like, well, it's you know, it's not my favorite movie. It's it's not better than Twilight. And we said, okay. So then at the end of the, at the, end of the viewing, they're like, well, what else has this guy Patrick Swayze been on? And I'm like, let's watch all his favorite teaser trailers. So Roadhouse was the first one I brought up. And they're like, that's the same guy? I'm like, oh, it's a little rough and tumble. He's the same guy. Deeply underrated, Jeff Healy, who was a Stevie Ray Vaughan. Girl, fan. you're looking fine tonight. <laughs> yes, sir. Blind, a blind guitar player in a classic blues tradition who played it flat on his lap. He played his guitar flat on his lap, and he, he he played the fret like a keyboard, like it was pedal steel, but six-string guitar. Good stuff. He killed it. He was great. And then they do that cover of Manish Boy when she's dancing, and oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, they're making, uh, they're doing a remake of Roadhouse. I think it's with um, Jake Gyllenhaal, and I think I want to say it's coming out like sooner than later. Um, But going back to what you said about um, Sam Elliott, didn't he play Wade Garrett? Wasn't that his name? Wade Garrett. That guy is one of the most badass characters out of the eighties, I would say. And he holds, he ties his hair back before he beats that one guy down, and he calls Dalton amigo. Just. Great, great stuff. Um, well, I'm actually amigo. He calls him mijo, which means son in Spanish. Oh, I didn't oh. know that. Pro tip, pro tip. He says mijo, wow. which is son. And you guys might be surprised when I'm about to say this, but I'm actually going to do a Roadhouse episode for this little podcast that's on my calendar for a little bit later in the year. That's how much love I have for Roadhouse. So my my bad movie that I'll mention now is um, this won't surprise my brother. The Dark Knight Rises. The, uh, the third Batman movie of the Nolan trilogy. Um, I know that movie isn't very good. There's just, there's a lot of problems with it, but like I still, whenever I come across and it's long, that movie is like a good 225, maybe longer. And I'll like, I'll commit like for like a really long time. And there's something about Bane in that movie. And it just, I the, the character, the voice gem, which I know you're shaking your head about, you're putting your thumbs down. Take back I your love that movie. I'm Gotham's Rickety. I love that movie. We will endure. <laughs> that movie sucks. It was a great movie. It's it's really not. Before we start defining what a, a good, bad movie is, because I'm really interested in your thoughts on that, but why do we like watching crap movies like that? Why do I like watching The Dark Knight Rises, Nick, Kindergarten Cop, which probably really wasn't poorly reviewed necessarily. Roadhouse probably was. I think it's comfort food, I think is what it is. It's comfort food, right? It's familiar. It feels like home. Nobody's getting hurt. Don't need to use your brain. No, of course not. I'm going right off of that. It is. Uh, it, it, Jim's onto something. Cliches by their nature are comforting, right? 
It's better than original thought. It's better than pushing the envelope because you have to take a chance, right? These movies are are chicken pot pies and fish sticks. You know, it brings you back to a comforting age. But the thing is, we will forgive tremendous plot holes. You know, again, like The Dark Knight Rises, there are tremendous plot holes in that. We will forgive tremendous plot holes for comfort's sake. What I, I feel is like there's something about a movie that maybe you know isn't great, but you're willing to give it that benefit of the doubt because uh, there's something about it that will allow you to suspend the disbelief to go along for the ride that they're in. So what you're saying is, is right. There is something to each one of these movies that you find endearing enough. I don't know if it's maybe you can overlook an actor's over-the-top performance or you can look over like a far-fetched plot or maybe some kind of special effect that's cheesy, but there's some element of charm to it that is good enough where you can say, all right, I'll buy in and I'm going along for the ride. If it can convinces you to do that, then that's what to me makes a good, bad movie. One of the cliches that's relied upon heavily on one of the movies on my list is a getting the gang together scene. Yeah. Right. If you do that, well, I'm in, I don't care if it makes no sense. I don't care if these guys, if it's ridiculous, if you do a good getting the, getting the gang together scene, you have my full attention. You're not doing Ocean's Eleven, are you? Slap, I was about to say the same fucking thing. You better not be doing Danny Ocean. <laughs> Pause. I wouldn't give away a film on my list in my monologue, okay? I'm not an amateur. Fellas, come on. Give me some more credit than that. No, Ocean's Eleven's entirely enjoyable and one of the style, most stylish and cool films of the last 40 years. Come on. Come on. One of the things, and we'll get into this when we start getting into our movies, but just to give you, I guess, a, a quick preview on my list, all mine, are, except for one, are all in the 80s. Um, and I have one that's in the late 90s, nothing after that. But I guess my question is, and then let's start to define it, but like, do you think that it starts to change when you age out? Like if, you know, I find it really interesting that my movies are all from a certain part of my my youth, right? They're all in like my, when I'm like early teen, right? And then as I age out, I'm just wondering, like, do I have a different sensibility for that movie or when i revisit a certain movie do i still have the same feeling of it now than i did when i was 15 right yeah like going down the road of like it hasn't aged well yeah like, and it might have been something that you were excited about in your youth i mean i can name a million movies that i was pumped for and then when it came out i was like well i kind of feel like i gotta like it because i was so pumped because for it. You liked it and then you kind of make peace with it and then made maybe right away it's becoming a good bad movie because like you were so excited about it like I don't want to name movies now because I don't, I want to feel like I'm going to hit something on somebody's list. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. But yeah, I completely get what you're saying. The science backs what you're talking about from a music standpoint. I know that for sure. So the things you're exposed to in your most formative years, when you're developing your personality, when you're developing the characteristics that would become to define you as a person, the music that hits you the most then is going to stick with you more than the music that comes later or even before. Um, definitely. It's harder to make music stick as, as you get older. However, you know, so with that in mind, the things you grew up with, good or bad, are going to have a nostalgic feeling that attaches itself to you that you just can't shake. How do we define a good, bad movie? Nick, you started kind of touching on this a little bit. So let's kind of pull on that thread a little bit further. I laid out, in my opinion, sort of like three buckets of what, I, what is a good, bad movie. It's, um, you know, the good. It's the movies that you genuinely like. Maybe others don't but you've spent a lot of your lifetime defending those movies because you, you, you just know that they're, they're, there's good in there. Yet deep down, you may even realize the movie's not very good and you can see why others may 
to feel that way, but you're going to defend it. You're, you're going to go to the mat on it, right? Then there are the bad. These are the movies that we all know are bad, yet we, we somehow like love them anyway. But these are bad movies. The good ones are sort of like you think that there's redeeming qualities there, right? But the bad yeah. is like, this is pretty bad. And then there's the craptastic, as I like to call it. And these are the <laughs> ones that are just like, these are so bad. These movies are like, how did this movie even get greenlit? What studio executive signed off on it? The premise is a little bit out, out of whack. Um, you know, these are movies that are so bad that somehow their status and pop culture has remained constant. And I, you know, I put it down on our, on our notes here that like Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin, I think is a great example of a movie that is so bad that it's almost like people will never forget it because of its, of its badness. Do you guys feel like those three sort of make sense or do you have your own? Um, I felt like I couldn't approach it on just movies that I thought were bad because when the, the nature of the question makes me think, oh, it's so bad that it's good. Makes me think like we're talking about uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes or Plan 9 from Outer Space. And I didn't want to yep. go down that road. These are mo- my list of movies that I actually do like. I'm willing to forgive elements of it that I know make it maybe a maybe not an Oscar movie, maybe not an Academy movie. But these are I maybe mean, Guilty Pleasure might be closer. These are movies that I like that I will forgive their shortcomings everybody is going to name five movies tonight that they loved i'm going to go out on a limb yes nobody's naming a movie that they hate it's going to be 20 loved movies maybe not by everybody i take issue with the phrase guilty pleasure did i say it and 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 here's what i mean by that i was uh i was in barnes and noble walking by the the checkout line as you do and they've got all the discount books and there's 1001 guilty pleasures so it's like, okay, you have my attention. Let me take a peek. And like Gumball Machines was on the list. It's like, <laughs> why is Gumball Machine on the list of guilty? I objectively enjoy gumballs sure. and gumball machines are just fun. Why is why do I need to feel guilty about chewing a piece of gum in a ball? Yes, you know? Right. Evil Can Evil was on this list. And I was thinking to myself, this is a man who redefined stunts. And actively, deliberately, purposefully renamed himself Evil Knievel. Man. That's just cool. So, guilty pleasure. I mean, no, I'm not committing a crime. These movies yeah. are enjoyable. They're fun. I don't feel guilty about enjoying myself. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm watching a movie that may be silly to a lot of people, and that's fine. I can appreciate that. I do silly stuff all the time. In fact, the entire existence of Looney Tunes is built on being silly. So why should I feel guilty about enjoying myself? You know, it's kind of an American thing. You're right, Jason. That's a good point by you. The only thing I would say by way of response is this. The Iceman cometh. (laughs) Wow. That's all I got. Wow. That's all I got. Okay. Batman and Robin is so bad. I came across it, like, I think it was on HBO, like, four months ago, and I was channel surfing, and that movie is ridiculous right out of the gate. Like, the first sequence, there's, like, these villains, and they're on ice skates, and they're, like, they're on an ice, and, like, I don't even know what's happening. What's happening with the ice skaters? Oliver and I got through 10 minutes when they said surf's up, when they were on that rocket, and the two of them, and they said, one of them says surf's up, maybe it's what's-his-face, son of a woman kid. And they say surfs up, and Oliver's like, "Daddy, this movie's terrible." I'm like, "Have you seen enough?" He's like, "Well, you said it was bad, but I didn't." You know, he, he likes to find the good in all movies, but even he agreed. Sure, no, not so good. That's why I'm highly intrigued by this this topic tonight because you guys have all been on the show before. We've had a couple of other people like Safon. He's part of our crew, and and I love all you guys. You guys all have great taste, which is why I always have you come back because I love to talk film with all of you, and we all. 
you know, we all have our, our list. We all have our high minded list that we like. So this is going to be a nice pivot for us to kind of defend the crap, right? These are the mm-hmm. movies we all sort of know are crap because we, you're a liar. If you say that you don't like them, you know, you do. So like, let's just, I want to, I want to hear your rationale. So for the listener, I, I told these guys to be prepared. We're going to go one round after another. We're going to list five movies <laughs> each of our favorite, not necessarily our favorite good, bad movies, but I think ones that we really think check all the boxes. I do have one um, disclaimer is that my, my friend Leslie Streeter, who was on my very first podcast um, a couple of years ago, she launched a, a new pod a, about a year ago called fine beats and cheeses and her and her sister had me on last week. And, and basically the premise was they told me you need to come up with something cheesy and discuss, you know, why you, why you like it and defend it. So it, within pop culture. So they, I think they wanted me to choose a movie. So I will say that the movie I chose for this Uh-oh. episode, which is going to, I think, publish in a week or two, probably would have been on my list tonight had I not done that podcast. But I felt like I couldn't do it on that podcast and then do it on this podcast. That's just not right. But do you guys want to take a guess what the movie is? You want me to just throw it out? So you're about to take a movie out of the population for tonight's selection? I might take it out of the population right now. Unbelievable. Does it great. have a good soundtrack? It does. Oh, dude, you, you hit you, one of my fi- huh? Am I gonna? Am I about to hit one of yours? How am I supposed to know? I just want to get going. Go ahead, tell us the movie. All right, it's cocktail. Tom Cruise. Fuck. Oh, it's my first oh. one. It was my first one out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> all right, wait, wait, wait. This is not. This is not an issue. The first one out first of the of gate. All, oh my first goodness! Of all, it's not the first one because you took Commando, and that's on my list. And we're gonna get into oh. that in a second. So, so, as you said earlier, fuck you because you already took Commando. <laughs> So Commando's um, been taken now. I thought right, I saw so you grimace I, when I said Commando. Elizabeth Shoe for all time. All time. I asked these guys to just come prepared on a couple of things. Like, tell us when it came out, the director, you know, if there's the log line that you can grab from INDB or just an overall summary. I asked these guys to talk about why it sucks, why it doesn't suck, any memorable quotes. Feel free to use the actor's voice in your quotes if you want to. Any other useless trivia, that's it. Um, Jim actually mentioned in our text thread the other day uh, something about a veto system. So we may actually start to kind of veto some of these titles as we start getting into it. But let's just see how that goes. But Jim, cocktail. I'm sorry, I took it. I just want to slide it to the side and pick another movie. I've got backups. Oh, you can't now. I can't. <laughs> I gotta hear. I gotta hear some. I like that movie. Coglin's Law: Bury the Dead. They stink up the joint. <laughs> Before you guys picked my first movie out of the gate, I was going to suggest that we do the quote and then the others try to guess what movie it's from. But, Ooh, but since we, we already too. wrecked it, this is the quote I was going to go with. You see, there are two kinds of people in this world, the workers and the hustlers. The hustlers never work and the workers never hustle. Doug Coughlin, right? I love That's it. Rock solid. So I'm supposed to tell you why it's a, why it sucks. And then I'm going to tell you why it's great. Um, my notes, um, I wrote, and I'm going to read what I wrote. I said, can I just say that it's not a good movie and cite zero reasons? Um, <laughs> I, I tell you what, Brian Brown just bothers me in this film. He's a friend. He's a poet. He's an asshole. Wait, he's a friend again. Now he's dead. There's something about that guy's performance that just does not. I'm not, a, I'm not a big, I'm just not a big fan of the character. Wow. Rebuttals, anyone. I think Brian Brown's great in that movie. I actually think that he adds most of the energy in the entire film. Douglas Coughlin. Talk about a character that's got like some kind of depth. And he's got these laws oh, and he's no, got like these rules. Team. I mean, Jason, I'm going to stop. Go. What do you got? He's the counterpoint. Yeah, I know. He, he's the experience. He's the old man wisdom, right? And and at his age as a bartender, that is old age. That's that's 
octogenarian, basically. He's experienced. He's got a wealth of information. He uses it badly, and he shows uh, uh, Tom Cruise's character which way not to go. He provides a clear path to avoid. All right. My, my list for why it's a great movie is much longer than my list for why it sucks. R- reason number oh, one. Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take you. Bermuda, Bahama, someone's giving me the finger. Key Largo, Montego, <laughs> baby, why don't we go? Jamaica off the Florida Keys. With John Stamos in the video. With John Stamos in the video. First Play of the all, drums. You don't like that? There are Beach Boys songs, and there are Beach Boys songs. That was an abomination. Okay? <laughs> Get the hell out of here. So you want to move that out up to why it sucks? The same group that performed Good Vibrations gives me that? No. No. You don't want to go to Kokomo. All right. We got a lot of movies to get to. Let me go through. through. We do not agree on Kokomo, but let me go through the rest of them. So I wrote (laughs) top 10. I wrote top 10 film soundtrack. And then I said, you don't even have to see the film, the poster. We've got a neon framed, sexy Tom Cruise, all in black his hand down on the bar, looking you dead in the face like you did something to him that got him all pissed off. The tagline. What's the tagline? When he pours, he he fucking rains. You cannot beat that. Um, We already talked about it. Two words, Elizabeth Shue. She's delightful. Reimagined, period. Um, And how about those locations? Love it. The barman poet scene kills me every time. It kills me. It's so fun. It's so ridiculous. I mean, like... Your your cocktail bar is designed in a prison cell, <laughs> and Tom Cruise gets up and he does this poem right. about the last barman poet, and it, it I, I'm hooked. You have my attention. It's cheesy as hell. I don't You're care. All in. And I swear to God, I did not know this until I actually picked this. This movie's nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but this is what I found out. Um, this film is listed among the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made in John Wilson's book, The Official Razzie Movie Guide. I did not know that either. So there you go. That's money. Jim, that was a fine choice. 1988 cocktail. Love it. Nick, what do you got as your, uh, need your the first one? Yeah, I, I'm going to applaud. I'm going to applaud the cocktail before I move on here. Um, how about the next verse? Just kidding. I, I personally, I would. I don't know if Jason's going to react the way that he should because right now he's over there sour on a perfectly delightful Beach Boys song, which nah, is just bizarre, you know. But uh, I'm going to give you a little quote from my my uh, leading at the gate. All right, vampire killers, let's kill some fucking vampires. Uh, no oh, no nice. I've already very nice. That's the Lost Boys, right? Faults. That was my guess. Faults. No, it's not first the Lost Boys. Steak. What is that? Uh, apparently, I'm the only Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez oh, fan. Oh, dusk till dawn! Oh, dusk till dawn! From dusk till dawn. But kind of felt guilty putting Quentin Tarantino on this list. But is this not just the just this this for this category? The movie kind of fits like a glove. Uh, it was in in parts. It was excessively gory. Uh, it was a cheesy kind of special effects vampire kill him up kind of movie. And parts of that just got so over the top that you kind of felt like, well, maybe this isn't a great movie. However, why it's cool, you got a Tarantino script. The dialogue is fantastic. Tarantino dialogue. It's epic. Nineteen ninety six. George Clooney. Cool. George Clooney. We're talking about. You know, the guy, he's got, he's got like the, the cool tattoo on the oh, side yeah. of the arm that one of my high school buddies went out and got based on this movie. 
George Holden, I don't know if you're listening. You should be listening. But anyways, he got that tattoo. Um, but it was literally like this. This It's got the monologues, the Tarantino monologues left and right. You've got this outstanding performance by Clooney. You've got the outstanding performance by Harvey Keitel. you got Selma Hayek doing one of the most hot, epic three minutes of cinema that's ever been in cinema. I'm going to watch and it, it later. Was just, it, totally, it was totally great. You know, it totally worked. Uh, you know, there were some parts that didn't work. Quentin Tarantino's performance as Seth Gecko kind of sucked, but you forgave it to my earlier point about like suspending the disbelief and things you forgive. I can forgive Tarantino, maybe not being the world's greatest actor in a script that he wrote. There's two movies in that movie. There's the first, like the first half. And then there's the second half. The second half is when they get to the titty twister place and, and all that. But like the first half is actually like pretty good. Kind of good. Right. Cause like yeah. these guys are in the Winnebago and there's like, they rob it's a bank. Tense and, they get out of, they yeah, get out of the country, no, they get yeah. out of Mexico and they're trying to get to the rendezvous point to meet Carlos. And yeah. Seth is kind of a wild card. He's killing innocent hostages, whatever. And, and Clooney's trying to deal with his brother and with the whole deal. And it's like that to your point, it's like that half. To, well, in high school, you thought that that was the one half was the Tarantino half. The other half was the Robert Rodriguez half. In the bar scene, when they're walking around, the the guy who I think he like taps his waist and he's got the crotch pistol. Sex machine. Sex machine. That is the truly <laughs> famous special effects coordinator, Tom Savini. Savini. Yes. Yeah. Tom Savini's son is a retired Navy Chiefs bosun's mate. And I Get the hell out of here. When I was a rookie, he was my immediate supervisor on my first shift. That's cool. Sabini's son. Oh my God. His name is Lon. That's pretty cool. After wow. Lon I love the connection. I love it. Um, Nick, that's, that's a good choice. choice. I, I approve. It's really, it's really well done. I didn't, I'm actually a little bit annoyed about my, that I didn't <laughs> uh, think about that one myself. Jason, give us your first one. As I was going back through my films, I realized that a lot of the things that I was looking at on my list and considering were when we were still trying to figure out things in the popular zeitgeist. Yes. And Hollywood has always done a fine job of capitalizing on the movement, right? Whatever it is, however small, however big, if it's a thing that's capturing the youth. So here's the tag. A developer tries to bulldoze a community re- uh, recreation center. The local breakdancers try to stop it. <laughs> Poltergeist? That's right. No. <laughs> Is this is this breaking to electric boogaloo? Breaking to electric boogaloo. First of all, it's called breaking to electric wow. boogaloo. The title rhymes. Okay, unbelievable. Uh, directed directed by Sam Furstenberg, who uh, last directed a feature uh, in uh, two thousand three uh, called "The Interplanetary Surplus Male and the Amazon Women of Outer Space." <laughs> That's a wow. thing that exists, fellas. That is a thing that exists in this world. Um, stars Lucinda Dickey. Um, oh God, hang on, hang on. Uh, uh, Adolfo Quinones as o- uh, as Ozone and Michael Chambers as Turbo. Um, why it's terrible? All the reasons. <laughs> um, all, all the reasons. The, the the plot is incomprehensible. The fact that some local break dancers could have enough political pull. (laughs) Demolition of a recreation center is hilarious. There are dance battles, right? So they're trying to bring in LA gang culture. 
and all the gangs are gangs of dancers. So it's like West Side Story meets L.A. at the height of like the origins of hip hop. For example, there is a very young Ice-T in this rapping on top of a car outside of the recreation center. Um, it is absurd. Break into Electric Boogaloo, 1984, when Hollywood was trying to figure out what breakdancing was really all about. Would I be lost? Would yeah, I be lost not- if I didn't see the first one? Because <laughs> I might watch it later. It's fine. Makes complete sense. I'm going to go with the one that Jim already spoiled, so I'll just get this one out of the gate. He referenced Commando from 1985, directed by Mark L. Lester. Uh, I read that John McTiernan apparently turned that movie down. So that would have been yeah. interesting to see McTiernan do that before uh, before Die Hard. Logline, John Matrix, a retired Special Forces colonel, tries to save his daughter who was ad- abducted by a former subordinate, a subordinate who wears chainmail and looks like Freddie Mercury, in my opinion. Um, first of all, why does this movie suck? It doesn't suck. Um, Commando, is, <laughs> Commando is fantastic. I actually feel a little bit guilty, just like Nick, that I've got this on my list. But I watched it during um, the holidays. And it's it's really bad. I mean, the movie's the movie's really bad. But there are so many great things. I'm just going to touch on a couple of things. One is the villain. Um, again, I'm talking about why it sucks. The villain Bennett, who's played by Vernon Wells, um, he's clearly no match for Arnold in any way, and shape, or form. He's like this big, he's like this big chubby guy. He's got tight shirts on. He looks like he drank a couple of too many fribbles at friendlies. Like I don't understand that. Great he was like ball. the first choice for like terrible. Schwarzenegger, there's no way. Like they even try to stage this big fight at the end, and there's no way Schwarzenegger, no way John Matrix is losing that fight. Hundred percent, no way. No way. Right? I completely. Agree. And he's the villain. So that that's why the movie sucks. Um, there's absolutely no story, no character development. There's no. They leave that shit at the door. Nobody's interested in story in Commando. Um, Matrix is supposed to fly to some country. It's called Valverde, which is made up, doesn't even exist. It's down in South America somewhere. And he's supposed to assassinate the president or they're going to kill his kid. Instead, he jumps off the plane at takeoff and he's like a thousand feet in the air and he lands in some little yeah. pond. Why it doesn't suck. Why I think this movie is awesome. John Matrix is one of the great movie character names ever. It's yeah. just, and especially in the Schwarzenegger canon, John Matrix. That and maybe Dutch well, from yes. Predator. I got to think of two great characters, right? Um, you know, this movie proved that Arnold could carry a movie. He didn't need James Cameron, at least, you know, not for every movie. Alyssa Milano plays his kid. There's this great music score by James Horner, the late James Horner. Back when he was doing like these orchestral hybrid scores, there's a saxophone, there's Caribbean steel drums. This is like a, a sound that he did in 48 hours a couple years earlier. Yeah. Another veal. Um, insane body count. It, it, apparently, he killed 87 people in the movie uh, all throughout the film. They had he coming. took down an entire security detail at a shopping mall. Um, you know, the shed scene at the end when he's like, he's, he's mowing everybody down, he's in that shed and they shoot the shit out of it. And then the guy opens the door and the one guy gets a pitchfork in his stomach. Another guy gets his arm chopped off. Another guy gets scalped <laughs> with a saw stuff. blade. Yeah. With a saw blade. That's like, that's great stuff. Um, Ray Dawn Chung is in it. She had a short run in the mid eighties, this movie and, and soul man kind of made her a thing. <laughs> Um, fucking Bill Duke is in this movie and he shows up again two years later in Predator, which is just great. And, uh, and then the quotes. And I should have started with the quotes and I didn't, but let's just go, go into it. You're a funny guy, Sully. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. 
This is my weak arm, Sully. Remember when I told you I'd kill you last? I lied. And then he's like, let off some steam, Bennett. <laughs> he's, got that, he's got that fucking pipe through. <laughs> and then he's like, I eat green berries for breakfast, and right now I'm very hungry. And then the last one is, don't disturb my friend here. He's dead tired. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. So that, that scene, the airplane scene, when he jumps out of a, of a landing plane from like 250 <laughs> feet and, and just into some swamp, and he's good. He's totally yeah, he good. Is. He's walking off. See, the name of the game is woman. Little darlings come in a panting. The little hearts are pitter-patting for the handsome, all-knowing bartender. And in their wake, a parade of slobbering geeks with one hand on their crotches and the other hand on their wallets. You get the women, you get the bucks, and boy, oh boy, you've got them. Buttons were popping, skirts were rising. When you can see the colour of their panties, and you know you've got talent. <laughs> Stick with me, son, I'll make you a star. All right, this is going to be an apology to my baby brother for ruining Commando. So this is uh, this is just this is just a labor of love right here for you. Here's the quote: "We're not just doing this for us. We're doing it for the kids. For every kid who ever sat on Santa's lap. For every little girl who left cookies and milk for Santa on Christmas night. For every little boy who opens a package Christmas morning and finds clothes instead of toys. It breaks my heart." Huh? You guys know what this is? Hit me. 1996, director Brian Levant, Slap, you lived this movie. Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way. There it is. Jingle all the way. Another, I mean, again, we're very, very, very heavy on the Schwarzenegger so so far. Really heavy on Schwarzenegger. (laughs) It doesn't surprise me that he's that he's coming up, right? Because I mean, again, it's the epitome of Schwarzeneggers. We love we love to hate the guy. Um, I mean, why does it suck? Um, I've got a, well, first off, log line, a father vows to get his son a Turbo Man action figure for Christmas. However, every store is sold out and he must travel all over town and, and compete with everybody else in order to find one. I'm surprised this was on your list because it's, it's not a film you've probably seen a ton of times, nor have I, but like, it, it's a, it's not good. And it's, it's certainly a, a good, bad movie. I read right a, uh, I read a review it's and I didn't a write bad classic. I, well, we watch it at the holidays. I mean, maybe not every holiday, but we watch it. Here's a review yeah. that I read. Um, you'll need an awful lot of Christmas cheer to forgive Arnold for his fourth and hopefully last venture into comedy. A turkey that needs stuffing Aww. on the most inaccessible shelf of your local video store. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Um, I wrote down the Santa warehouse fight scene is is, is very, very hard to watch. Oh, great. Um, there seems one of the like, Belushi brothers? <laughs> one of the Belushi brothers was in it. Yeah, James Belushi was in it. Um, there seems to be a competition of who can overact the most in this film. Um, but you know, a lot, a lot of bad things. Um, so you guys know that Dennis played Turbo Man at a metro station in Washington D.C. Sure do, right, Jason? You've heard That's this a good story. story for this podcast. So, Jason, two things. <laughs> One day, off camera, you're going to have to explain to me how your little brother got the name Slap. Right. Secondly, no. I have never heard that story, and frankly, I'm a little upset about it. Well, that's why I got him on the list because now the story's got to come out. I'm not. I can tell you my version of the story, but my brother could probably fill you in better. But he was working in DC, and they were doing the marketing on this movie. And I guess kind of like what's the uh, the John Ritter movie, Hero at Large? You know, they 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 sent out a bunch of costumes, and then they needed a volunteer in Dennis's office to for somebody to put this costume on and go down at like I don't know, it was like Metro Center, Dupont Circle. And he's down there during rush hour 
And the guy from the, the local, you know the guy's name, the local weatherman, they kept going to him. They're like, well, let's go back to Tony, who's live with Turbo Man down at the DuPont <laughs> Circle. And then there's, there, there's Dennis in his full costume. And it was like the Cheesemo costume. He didn't have the costume that Schwarzenegger wore. I thought he looked great. But they're ragging on him. He's interviewing people. They're ragging on Dennis. And Dennis was only allowed to say one of the, like the four catchphrases, right? Like he, he took it. Yep. He took it really seriously. And I respect that. It's turbo time. And then the other one was, you could always Pick count on fingers. me. <laughs> love it. I love that you were all in, man. I love that you Oh, were I was all in. in. My, my other reasons for liking this movie, I wrote, I lived through the Cabbage Patch craze when I worked at Service Merchandise. So I said, <laughs> this, this shit resonates for me. Um, I put it to, it's a huge holiday film. Um, I said, if yeah. you look at it in a certain light, it's even a great superhero film. So again, I said oh. certain light. Um, I feel like it scratches the kindergarten cop itch very nicely. And then I said, look at the cast. You got Arnold, Sinbad, Phil fucking Hartman, Mrs. Tom Hanks, Belushi. Shout out to my dad, Robert Conrad, Baba Black Sheep. Um, My dad loved that guy. And then you got Harvey Corman. I mean, that's a full field. That was a solid guess. That's my second pick. Jingle all the way. Nick, what do you got? Uh, First of all, I applaud. Again, I applaud that one. Uh, (laughs) Definitely love the jingle all the way. And it also like Sinbad doesn't get enough love, does he not? I mean, I think that we could go on a more. Jim, uh, Dennis has more Sinbad stories. We're not going to tell Nick. It would be funny if it, it would be funny right now if your second film was Dust to Dawn Two, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I didn't realize existed until I. Uh, I think they made a couple of them for this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. My second one, I'm going to go with. The, I'm going to start off with a quote. I'm pretty sure you guys will get it just from the quote, and if you don't, then uh, I'll educate. But uh, about uh, shop smart, shop s smart. You got that? <laughs> this is my boomstick. Hail to the king, baby! I'm not. I don't, you got, you me, got me on this one. What is this? Army of darkness. Army. You got it. <laughs> Army of darkness. That is. I a- feel like when you go into a category like good bad movies. Uh, the Sam Raimi got this one right. Essentially, uh, he and his brother, when they did the original Evil Dead movie, the yeah. the, the thing is they made it and they had a they had a fan in Stephen King, and so it got a theatrical release. But it wasn't a good horror movie, right? It wasn't very uh, very good. And the first one they did, they were trying to be serious, and then ended up being one of those movies that they were trying to be serious, but people just kind of laughed at. Uh, so then they made the exact same movie. Evil Dead Two is exactly the same movie as Evil Dead One, but it was just they leaned into the comedy. It was Gonzo. And then after they got that and they realized they had something, Army of Darkness was that movie that went, let's go, now we're running into it and we're going all the way into the comedy and we're going to have this larger-than-life character, Ash, with Bruce Campbell and all his charm and we're going to lean into the one-liners and the way big charisma and machismo, and it was and it made something good. So I of, of the ones, this was the third movie in that series, is my favorite of that, but I feel like they got it right in terms of this was a silly, cheesy horror movie with not a huge budget, but they leaned into the comedy and it was super charming and endearing. You're totally willing to overlook it because like Ash says things that are very quotable <laughs> to the point that like what the Duke Nukem video game, like they basically just took army of darkness and made the video game, whatever. Um, but the guy, the guy is very funny to the point that was it a couple years ago they made a series, Ash vs. the Evil Dead, and it's on what, Showtime? What year What year was this movie, Nick? 1992, Army of Darkness. Why it sucks, I mean, essentially, it, it's very cheesy, right? The special effects, they don't have a huge budget. 
Um, they have like an army of the dead fighting and it's basically puppets, but, uh, you lean, you lean to that because it's, it's super funny and charming. And like literally the, the one liners alone make you, you like the Ash character. Uh, and that totally works. And, and then Jason referenced earlier, like Looney Tunes, obviously there's a heavy Looney Tunes, uh, influence on the Raimi brothers. When they did this, there's a whole middle sequence of this film where Bruce Campbell does, like uh, he does like a whole battle with an evil version of himself. And it's very Looney Tunes kind of driven where he's like, I mean, and, and it's just likable. It's one of those movies that like, yeah, I know I'm not watching something's going to get nominated for best picture, but when it's on, I love it. <laughs> to, the, to this day, a shotgun within the military framework is often referred to as a boomstick. Boomstick. <laughs> nice. Love it. Love that. It's a real thing. Yeah. Awesome. Nick, I'm learning a lot about you tonight because I didn't know that would be on your list. I'm still I'm still struggling with Kindergarten Cop from an hour ago. Delightful film. Your, <laughs> your next film, Jason. Quote. Oh, God. The quotes are regrettable. Uh, let me see here. What do I got? What do I, got? <laughs> I mean, it's dumping. Let's see here. Spandex, it's a privilege, not a right. Oh. There is no right and wrong. There's only fun and boring. Hackers, 1995. Oh, man. Hackers. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen Hackers. Ian Softley uh, directs this thing. So at this point, no one knew what the internet was or what it could be. Hackers. So Hollywood jumps on this train and they're like, let's let's scare some people. Let's make it weird. Let's The visuals in this, as you're looking at a guy typing on a computer screen, the visuals make no sense. It's like looking at a Pink Floyd laser light show within the framework of these computer hackers doing some hacking. You're like, that's not what the internet looks like, man. No one apparently, <laughs> no one apparently uses a mouse. Websites don't look like websites at hmm. all. So here's basically the plot. A, okay. An evil corporation has plotted to take over the computer system of an oil company's freighter and capsize it. So it spills all this oil. But in the meanwhile, what they've done is also created a virus, which actually is real, that replicates itself and steals fractions of cents from all these transactions from this major company. So they're trying to escape with literally billions of dollars. It stars Johnny Lee Miller, uh, oh, train spotting oh. and elementary fame, um, a very young actress called Angelina Jolie. You may have heard oh. of her. Jesse Bradford, Matthew Lillard, Fisher oh. Stevens, and Lorraine Bracco. Not to mention Bunk Moreland himself from The Wire, Wendell Pierce, Mark Anthony, Penn Gillette, wow. the, the comedy tag team, and a very young Felicity Huffman. Nice. Here's why it's awesome. The soundtrack is legitimately dope. The soundtrack is very, very cool. It's hyperkinetic. Um, it's right at that era of really good hip hop, but also with an electronic soundtrack to it. Um, it's superb. It really is. I bought it, uh, on colored vinyl several years ago for record store day. I'm a big fan. Um, the visuals are completely absurd, but they also work in wondrous ways because we had no idea what the internet could be. We yeah. were still trying to figure these things out. We didn't know what was going to come or how it was going to happen. And these guys pulled it off. And, of course, they're totally decked out in cyberpunk wardrobe that nobody actually wore. But I think they got the idea for it. 
from like a blog somewhere. Actually, that's not real because blogs didn't exist. It was probably a newspaper article or a magazine article in Rolling Stone about what all the cyberpunks are wearing and what is cyberpunk and who's William Gibson. Yeah, um, yeah. It was. It's a scream. It's kinetic. It moves. It's very propulsive, actually. Um, the pacing of it is superb. There's not oh. a wasted moment, and I will say that for it. That's why it's objectively cool. Pre-boob job Angelina Jolie, but actually she looks incredible. Johnny Lee Miller was spectacular. Uh, Wendell Pierce is actually quite good as an FBI agent. It's very enjoyable stuff. Fisher Stevens played the villain, did he not? He did, with Lorraine Bracco as his lover. Yep. He ended up, you know, being in succession. Yeah, it worked out for Fisher. <laughs> one of the one of the key characters. Um, interesting one, Jason. I actually worked on that campaign back in '95 uh, when an MGM was my client, so I, I know I know hackers pretty well. Okay, I'm going to give you my quote. How do you like that? The guy gets laid more times dead than I do alive. Weekend at Bernie's. Boom. Weekend at Bernie's. Jim Campbell. I just took a chance. I went with the dead motif. Directed by Ted Kotcheff. Uh, Logline, two idiots party their way through the Hamptons, pretending that their murdered boss is still alive. Why it sucks. Weekend at Bernie's. This is the same director who did First Blood. Truly. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he also directed a, a Kamlik Brothers favorite, Uncommon Valor. Fuck. Fuck is right. We'll take the garden with us. And he directed Weekend at Bernie's. Um, I'm sure that paid for a nice summer house somewhere. Um, wow. The movie screams 80s and all the wrong ways. The fashion, the music, it hasn't aged well. Andrew McCarthy, who I actually kind of like. Andrew McCarthy massively overacts in this movie. He's really going for it, almost as if he's in a different movie. A woman has sex with M Bernie's dead body <laughs> no. in this film. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Why it doesn't suck. I mean, listen, who wouldn't want to hang out at Bernie's for a weekend? I mean, it's the Hamptons. He's got a kick-ass house. So Jim's going to appreciate this. Don Kalfa, who plays Polly, also played Scarface and Foul Play, <laughs> another Kamlik favorite. You know which guy I'm talking about? He looks like he looks like Billy Joel from like I know Glass exactly Houses. Who you're talking about. You know, if yeah. you saw the photo of the guy, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, which begs the question, Jim Kamlik, when are, when are we going to do foul oh play? Oh my god! <laughs> Beware the little people; they're taking over the world. <laughs> Nice. Bernie Lomax, great character, great work. Terry Kaiser. Uh, Terry actually got killed the year before in Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. If memory serves, Jason got him with a lawn trimmer. <laughs> and I guess I'll just say, like, I think I could see why a studio executive bought this pitch in the room. This is a movie that you can market. It's, it's hauling a dead body around. That's pretty clever for about 20 minutes before it probably overstays its welcome but weekend at bernie's that's my second choice guys any thoughts about weekend yes, at bernie's i need to add to your story so jason here's something else you might know nick might know this so dennis and i codenamed slap we used to have in our minds what would be an award-winning halloween party it was dubbed horror tower and it started out in our apartment that was actually a tower and then we moved from there into the townhouse but we still liked the name horror tower so we kept it around one of the years, my little brother from Penn State, Mike Hannaway, shout out Mike Hannaway if he'd ever listened to this, he came to the party dressed as Weekend at Bernie's. And when I say oh. when I say this fucker kept in character, he kept in character. Like we had hay bales out front. So like I think he showed up, he knocks on the door, we come we open the door, and he's like he's he's <laughs> and he was the exact same size as fucking Bernie. So like literally we went out there, we carried him in. And we literally sat him down on the couch. 
And like the whole night, he just stayed in character. And people are like, is that a dummy? I'm like, no, that's a guy. Like he's just, <laughs> he's just, he's just you remember that? He was doing a bit. I do. He looked I exactly do. like that him. Was early. The blue windbreaker, the whole thing. Straight method. He went straight method yeah. and stayed in character the whole time. I'm talking about that's it 25 years move. later. Jason, I got to tell you, man, you would have loved the hard tower party. Both of you. I've already told Nick about these parties, but you guys, man, if you ever get that time machine, go back to you know suburban Maryland in 1994, hang out with the Camera Brothers. You would have at those parties. Off camera sometime, you're going to have to tell me about how you came to live in a tower. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Dude, that is a podcast. That's how interesting it is. I don't even want to tease. I would do the Hard Tower podcast. All right, we're on schedule. Um, we're going we're gonna to move along. Jim Kamlick, you're on your uh, third. Here we go. Oh, boy. Um, the quote, I've seen knights in armor panic at the first hint of battle. And I've seen the lowliest unarmed squire pull a spear from his own body to defend a dying horse. Nobility is not a birthright. It's defined by one's actions. I, Jason, I expect you to know this one. 1991, director Kevin Reynolds. Kevin Reynolds. Oh, I know what this is. Once he said the director, I got it. Useless trivia. Maybe this will help you. And that's the only thing you're going to get. The, Robin, the place Robin Hood, that, Prince of Thieves? What did you say? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? You got it. Boom. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That it, it is a good, bad film. It's a good, bad you're film. Fun. I feel like this is it's, one of my headliners. I mean, it's like Robin wasn't Hood. It, wasn't, wasn't Prince of Thieves like the biggest movie that year? Dude, it, I, yeah. I, I think it was budget-wise. I think it was supposed to be like the cast. It was a big-time big movie. You got you got Alan Rickman. You got Christian Slater. You got all kinds of people throwing fastballs. Morgan in, in Freeman? Deep. Morgan Freeman. You guys are just clicking my my why it doesn't suck list. Look, you've, you've got just about everybody. Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. Oh! Oh! Went off of the abyss. That was my last reason, yep. Jason. It said Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio is kind of hot. Kinda kind of hot. Woo. Are you going to sing the uh, the Ryan Adams song from that well, movie for us, like you did? I absolutely or? does. So here's my list. Why it doesn't? You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. <laughs> oh God, I can't get that thirty seconds back. Um, I wrote. So you guys, you guys nailed <laughs> it right for us. You did it right for us. Um, Alan Rickman, one of the top ten movie villains ever, and he owns two Never. of the other slots. In my opinion, right? Uh, Morgan Freeman wielding it is it called a scimitar sword, Jason? What's that? Yes, it is, sir. Um, it's a scimitar. I said when this when this shit the shit when it gets going is exciting. Robin Hood slams those arrows into the ground and proceeds to launch them one at a time. That shit's awesome. Any arrow playing yeah. movie is awesome, right? You can't go wrong. Here's the thing. Yo, when he, when he, when he bites, he bites the it, and then he shoots them. And, and he splits it. Oh, my God. I came out of my great. seat as a player. Let's pivot and do this movie right, right now. now. All right. Here's, this, is, this is cool, and I did not know this. So I, I, was, I was told to look up some useless trivia. The, and you, this is going to blow your mind. The playset that the toy company Kenner made to go with their Robin Hood Prince of Themes toy line is actually the Ewok village that they made for their Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. A few what? years early, I guess they just re, they rebranded them and sent them back out. Hundred percent, that's exactly right. Yep. Um, Are there, there's no reasons why this movie sucks. Well, there is one. Slap. What is it? Number one, Kevin Costner speaks like he's from California, <laughs> sure. not London. Nowhere near England. Nowhere near England. Five thousand miles away from England. To which you, that wasn't a Yellowstone prequel. <laughs> that never bothered me. If Kevin if Kevin Costner called me right now, I'd say Kevin. First off, great job in Yellowstone. Secondly, your yeah. accent, 
Your accent never bothered me. Great work on Untouchables. I, that's what I would say to him. It didn't bother me. It's a fucking bad accent. Move yeah. on. Step right. off. I'm with you. The best thing about that movie is that Warner Brothers did this great job where they kept it quiet because I oh, worked at the theater Connery. when it came out oh, that summer. So like when, when you're the usher and you're in the back row waiting for the movie lights to come up so you can start to clean. But like the last sequence of that movie is when Connery comes in, right? And he's like, hold, I speak. And like people lost their shit no, when yeah, Connery come on. We got screen. Connery in this thing. Oh my God. You got to be kidding <laughs> Richard the Lionheart. Richard the Lionheart returns from the Crusades. That was good stuff. Very impressive. I got to tell you, Robin Hood, that movie is not good. And that's a great selection. <laughs> Thank you, Slap. I great appreciate selection. that. Robin Hood. I didn't even think about Robin when, Hood. That's a good a totally one. Totally gratuitous nude Kevin Costner ass scene. Like, I was just like, what are we doing? Throw it, throw it right in there. In 1991, I thought it was the yep. greatest movie ever made. I, I mean, I was on fifth grade, but I mean, whatever. I, I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened to cinema. You know who was not good in that movie? Christian Slater. That, he, <laughs> what no, are you talking about? No, sir. No, sir. All, all the liberties with the actual story of Robin Hood? Like, come <laughs> on, man. Nick, Nick I, I wrote, Christian Slater sucks in this film. Even his character's name sucks. Will Scarlet. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. That was the story. That was, that was like, from the, from the 12th century. Like, that's, that name has stuck. Like, that's just the name. The guy that played uh, Friar Tuck was better than Slater. Um, all right. It was good. So we're moving off. He was actually very, very good. pretty yeah. good. All right, Nick, what's your, uh, give us your third. Well, I'll tell you this. The, the other four on my list uh, were not massive box office successes. However, the one I'm about to mention was. Made about $250 million of the global box office. Uh, the year was 1997. Um I'm going to give you a couple of quotes and I'm expecting all, all three of you guys to get it immediately because if you don't, then you don't watch movies. Where's my and you, all, <laughs> uh, you know, I could eat a peach for hours. It's like looking at a mirror. It's one of my movies. <sighs> oh, Booms. Another one of mine is stolen. Unbelievable. I, I like to, I just, Keep going. I like to, I like to cheat on your playbook there, uh, Dennis. Dude, you did that. You did that impersonation really well, by the way. If that's the movie, that wasn't it, that good? It's the mustache. <laughs> Adding the mustache enables Boom. him to do a Nick Cage even better. Boom. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too far into it because I know it sounds like Dennis is going to rehash the same territory, but we're talking about a glorious film called Face Off. He took the face off. Pulls it off. We're talking John Woo. We're talking signature action. The, 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 the really the hero of that film is the is the director in that John Woo's work there. Like he he played all of his bag of tricks and it all worked gloriously. We're talking about uh, you know why does it suck per se? Like first of all, I struggle with that because first of all, I don't like I don't like the fact that any of my movies are going to be considered why they would suck. But if you were going to point to why this one would be silly, the plot was kind of off the rails. We're talking about uh, literally the, the the plot they came up with was uh super FBI agent uh, catches mastermind criminal caster Troy. And uh, oh, after he caught him, it turns out uh, there's a bomb that's going to blow up Los Angeles. The only possible way we could figure out where that bomb is, is to surgically remove an FBI agent's face and and replace it with <laughs> the face of the mastermind criminal he's just convicted, so that he can convince his brother in a maximum security prison uh, to reveal the location of where the bomb is. But uh oh, the criminal wakes up mid surgery, and now he's just in the face of the FBI agent. And they went ahead and they continued both surgeries, and so now both guys are in each other's faces. Nick Cage at peak crazy. Nick Cage. Peak 
peak big budget Nick Cage movies with Travolta. He was coming off of like the now it's cool to like Travolta again, Pulp Fiction, all that stuff. And now he's in a big budget action movie. And here's what I like. So at the beginning, I said this is a this is a kind of genre where you suspend the disbelief. I had no problems just suspending all of the craziness and saying, I'm in for this ride, and it paid off. It was some of the best action scenes in the 90s. There was crazy gun violence back and forth, and it was fun. It was a good time. This is all good stuff. I'm all in for the whole thing. Brother's name was Pollux, Castor and Pollux. Pollux. I'm going to tell you why I didn't like Face Off. I found it confusing. Uh-oh. Like when they, I mean, I sound like an idiot for saying this, but it's like, so yeah. the movie opens, you know who you're supposed to like, you know who you're supposed to hate. Then they do the face-offs. You know that yeah. this guy's really a good guy with the bad guy's face. And I'm like, I know I'm supposed to root for him. But, like, I think yeah. it's pissing me off because I know he's the bad guy's face. I couldn't get behind it. It was just – but it yeah. was basic. Anyway, continue. Yeah. And that part didn't slow me down. No, um, clearly. I, I could see how – Just busting right through that hurdle. Just busting right through it. Apparently, originally, this was not supposed to be Travolta and Cage. I could let you guys do a few guesses as to who it was supposed to be. Danny Glover. But I'm just going to go right to it because because somebody's got an early morning. Um, It was supposed to be Stallone and our dear friend Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. As the two roles. That's cool. How much different would that have been? Um, but to this day, if it's on, I will watch Face Off, and I and I will do one of the questions Jim asked earlier in the week. I will throw down for this one. If somebody says Face Off sucks, <laughs> hey, whoa, 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 pump the brakes! You pump the brakes. We're going to talk about this. Time has not been kind to this movie, in my opinion. <laughs> I watched it not that long ago, and it's really <laughs> shitty. I love this movie at twenty six, and I was guzzling the John Woo. Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. Everybody White was. Doves, right? The premise is completely asinine. To Jason's point, I don't know what they were smoking when they bought that in the room, but they did. Um, what's Joan Allen doing in this movie? She's a great actress. <laughs> right? Joan Allen's an Academy Award nominee. What are, Nick Cage has won. He won it for two, two years earlier for Leaving Las Vegas, which is a phenomenal film. There's that scene in the prison. There's this giant-ass prison tower in the middle of the ocean. And they they send Nick Cage, who's really Travolta, into this prison. They got these metal boots, and everybody's like stuck to the ground. And he still escapes, which is ridiculous. <laughs> they, use this, they, they use that set in the Avengers. <laughs> um, you talked about the character names, which are great screenwriter names: Sean Archer, Castor, and Pollux Troy. Phenomenal character names. Um, Nobody stages a gunfire ballet like John Woo. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I don't even think we've seen sequences that elaborate until John Wick came along. Right. Um, nobody does pigeons like John Woo. Yeah. Every one of his movies has to have fucking pigeons <laughs> flying around in <laughs> slow-mo at place. the end. Just fantastic. I think the pigeons showed up again in, in Mission Impossible 2 a couple years ago. A couple years later, I want to Scattered before after all the copious amounts of gunfire. Boom, 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 boom. Look at this. Boom, boom, Yeah, it's great. Did we not earlier in this episode, did we not discuss Gina Gershon? Uh, I was just going to say that was my last bullet. Always nice to see Gina Gershon show up. She was everywhere in the 90s. She did Showgirls a year before. She was in Cocktail. And then my quote, I don't know what I hate wearing worse, your face or your body. Boom. I mean, I enjoy boning your wife, but let's face it. We both like it better the other way. All right, Jason, uh, I'm done with face off. You have the last uh, of this round. What do you got? When some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your head against the barroom wall, and he looks you in your eye and asks you if you paid your dues, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton's always says at a time like this, have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check's in the mail. <laughs> oh, my God! 
First that was on all, my list. That was mine this round. Oh, big good, trouble, little good. China. Stolen. Stolen. Suffer the consequences. You went with face-off when you could have picked 1986 and John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Great movie. Good pick. Here's why it sucks, because the list is much shorter than why it's awesome. <laughs> the special effects are bozo, right? It's it, it's a minute budget, and you can tell that this is a labor of love for John Carpenter, one of the all-time great horror directors, and one of the all-time great horror composers. He, he does amazing things with his scores. I just recently picked up the original vinyl soundtrack to The Thing, I might add. Um. It's incomprehensible at times. The action hero, Jack Burton, disappears for half of the final major. <laughs> right? He knocks himself unconscious by shooting a Mac 10 or a Tech 9, rather, in the air. And of course, playing on all these cliches, all the rubble just falls in his head. Boom, you're unconscious. Um, you got guys doing things in midair that make no sense. Bruce Lee would be like, you don't even have time for that. Like <laughs> Jordan dunked from the free throw line and was in the air for less than a second. These dudes are doing full gymnastics routines in midair. Yes. Okay. We'll go with Crashing that. Tiger hidden dragon. The, the sets are like, they're tapping into Chinese influence with modern neon. There's smoke machines inexplicably. Um, the three major villains um, basically came together to form the, the, the basis of Raiden in Mortal Kombat, which is very cool. So that's on the on the fence. That's a gray area. Reasons why it's awesome. Kurt Russell just sinks his teeth into it. He just says this is he's he's wearing those those knockoff Indian moccasin boots yeah. that go all the way up to the knee. Right. He's wearing one of the most iconic tank tops of the entire 1980s, which is saying something because Lincoln Hawk and Over the Top wears a very yes. cool tank top, right? <laughs> As does Bruce Willis Amen. and Die Hard. Bruce Willis and Die Hard wearing just a straight up wife beater. Um, the cast is superb. Um, Kim Cattrall was the very first movie crush I ever had. I saw her in Mannequin in like 87. Right. Great and then ball. it was Elizabeth Shue, I think, in Adventures right. in Babysitting. And that set off yeah. a, a weird exploration. Um, she did it for me in uh, Police Academy, Jason. Well, that's where that's, Kim yeah, that's that's another one. Um, we recently litigated uh, a friend of mine. We recently litigated the um, the fictional police officer Hall of Fame and litigated <laughs> Carrie Mahoney from the Police Academy movies. <laughs> Classic. Did not get in on the first ballot or the second, but he's being currently considered for the third ballot. Um, what the hell's going on with this this judicial process? Hey, we had we had we established a list of like twenty four fictional police officers, and we had to narrow it down to eight to make the first, first ballot. ballot for Mahoney. Come on, not no no not come on come on come on. Marge Gunderson from from Fargo is a far better cop than Carrie Mahoney could ever be. Um, wow, it is hilarious um it's it is comprehensible but it plays on so many delightful cliches and you can tell that john carpenter just wanted to make a great action movie um on a shoestring budget and he pulls it off in fine style using mythology it's set in san francisco chinatown which is first of all if you're setting your movie in san francisco you've almost got the hook set in my mouth like i'm i'm gonna check out your film probably um, San Francisco Chinatown, even cooler. 
you're playing off of mythology. There's magic. There's gunfights. There's action sequences that'll blow your mind. There's there's a fight scene that doesn't even take place with the main characters. They're just watching two kung fu gangs go to work, and then he drives his semi truck through them. <laughs> <laughs> And he loses his truck in the process. You're like, what is happening right now? If it's on, it's a nine and a half batteries film. I'm throwing the remote away. I'm watching Big Trouble in Little China all day long and twice on Sunday, which I've done. Jason, you think that Kurt Russell uh, channeled the Jack Burton playbook in Tango and Cash? Very similar character. Oh, they are very similar. He's wearing he's wearing a wife beater. I love Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's awesome. Kurt that guy's Russell's the balls. Phenomenal. By the power vested in me, by God's holy church, I say any man who has reason why these two should not be joined, let him speak now, or forever hold his peace. And I now pronounce you, hold, I speak. wedding to proceed my lord unless i'm allowed to give the bride away you look radiant cousin. we are deeply honored your majesty it is i who am honored lord Luxby. thanks to you i still have the throne friar proceed Okay, guys, we got two more movies to go for each of us. Um, let me recap where we are for everybody that's tracking at home, because I know you are. Jim Camel has Cocktail. He has Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he has Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Jason has Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, Hackers, and Big Trouble in Little China. Nick Malone has From Dusk Till Dawn, Army of Darkness, Face Off, and Big Trouble in Little China, but we may give him a, a freebie, uh, make good on that. I have Commando. Weekend at Bernie's and Face Off. Jim, it's back to you for your fourth time. I title. feel like this is high probability for a steal right here. Um, all right, I'm gonna do the I'm gonna do the quote and I'm gonna do my best impersonation. And it says the character's name right up front, so you don't need to guess it. But here it goes. I've been practicing all day in front of the mirror. John Spartan, you are fine. Five credits for repeat violations of the verbal morality statute. Demolition man. I love that you took this, Jim. I love that you t- you stole one from me. It was something I was considering. I'm so glad you took you it. Guys, awesome. You guys talking about great character names, Simon Phoenix. I mean, that's that's pretty good. That's a pretty good name. So, uh, Logline, a police officer is brought out of suspended animation in prison to pursue an old ultra-violent nemesis who is loose in a non-violent future society. That is a handful right there. Um, I mean, why does it suck? I mean, I put Simon Phoenix. I said one of the worst overacted performances you will ever see. You know they're showing clips of this thing in acting class. They have to, right? I mean, they just said his direction was just go nuts. Do whatever you want to do. Um, Rob Schneider, how how much do you think he cleared for this thing? I mean, he's coming off SNL. They need another cop. How about Rob Schneider? He'll, he'll, He'll do it. Call him. Um, he'll, he'll say yes. <laughs> he's available. He'll say yes. A, a society, a society that still has Taco Bell, but which has outlawed swearing. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate for me. 
And then the three seashell thing, it kind of pisses me off because I wanted to see that applied. You know, they kept talking about how he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. Um, why it doesn't suck. Tagline, the future isn't big enough for the both of them. That's, that's pretty good, right? That, that is so 90s <laughs> writing right there. I wrote, fuck yeah, in parentheses. Um, Sandra Bullock, I wrote, has never looked better. Some will argue for speed. I will argue to take another look at Demolition Man. That's my argument for Sandy. Um, it's always fun to see Warden Norton in other films. <laughs> you know, and he wasn't even a bad guy, right? Wasn't he just like a police captain? Uh, his name is Bob Gunton. Bob Gunton. Um, to go with our theme for the evening, they referenced the Schwarzenegger Library in the film. That's kind of fun. Um, useless trivia. I'll get all my stuff done. Useless trivia. Wesley Snipes hated his blonde dye job and shaved his head as soon as filming was complete. After this movie's release, professional NBA player Dennis Rodman began dyeing his hair different colors, a look that was apparently inspired by Simon Phoenix. Fantastic choice. I watched Demolition Man every other day for an entire summer between ninth and 10th grade. You know, again, is, does, it, does it check the box of a bad movie? I think it does. Um, oh, yeah. 60, 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is the highest movie that I bring to the table, even with my alternates. I think it's the highest movie. So 62%. Wow. I wasn't thinking you were going to go there. That's, that's, a, that's a deep one. Yeah. I love it. Also, Dennis Leary. Dennis, Dennis yeah. Leary. And that Taco Bell thing. I love Taco Bell. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Big campaign. Was there more egregious product placement? Back in the history of the in the history of entertainment marketing? Dennis, is there been? It, in, in the framework of Demolition Man, Taco Bell wins the fast food wars. It's gotta be. <laughs> to the point that it's fine dining, right? I'm going to throw out um, a certain 1991 classic that I doubt any of you would have on your lists because you guys have a bunch of action movies and I like to diversify my genres. I went ahead and put on there a certain movie that if it comes on TNT or TBS, I don't turn it off. What a tease. I watch it. I watch it start to finish every time, every time all these years later, I'm still watching it. We watched it when we went to the blockbuster video in the Malone household in the early nineties, this certain movie got chosen. I got to say more than five times. In terms of, we got to pick a couple of movies to take home for the weekend. This one made the selection at least five times. You were about to say what I think you're about to say. I'm going to be oh, super pissed man. off because this movie, this movie is not a oh, bad movie. No. So I, I am fairly certain that is not the case. I am fairly certain that is okay. not the case because of your reaction to it? Kindergarten Cop. I'm fairly certain that is not the reaction that you have to worry about. Uh, but we will see. Because I'm about to throw at you. The suspense is Don't killer. tell mom the babysitter is dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> because if that film is on, I'm not turning that thing off. First of all, Jason referenced one of my favorite things that happens in films when you get in the band together. Uh, and I agree. This is not that. However, it's close. It's another, it's another like, it's an adjacent uh, genre where uh, they're figuring it out. You got the teenagers that figure it out, right? The babysitter uh, dies within minutes of the of the film, and yeah. the teenagers all of a sudden run the house. You got the stoner brother who watches a Julia Child's cooking video and then <laughs> manages to become like a, a wonderful uh, stay-at-home 1950s housewife. 
He makes delightful dinners and meals, and he's and he's stressed about the Christina Applegate character working too many hours. She she becomes a corporate executive on par with Dennis Kamlik in the tra- I think because she got like she lied about a resume. That's all it took. Yeah. And then she yep. like she figured out like how she could abuse the petty cash system and then in this fashion device. It was great. But it was like perfect uh like it perfect like nineties charm of like they figured it out and they made it happen and, and your kid watching it like, we don't need no damn babysitter. That could be me. My, my mom and dad can leave, and we'll figure this thing out, too. I'll go work at a place, and I'll go make all the money and uh, and screw all this nonsense. You know, we're, we're going to figure it out. They're going to have, like, a, you're gonna, we're going to have a fun montage. We're going to get on the roof. We're going to shoot, like, some plates off the roof and shoot them with lawn darts. That's going to happen. You're going to be okay with it, though, because at the end of it, I'm going to have, like, a really good career, and I'm going to have, like, all this petty cash that I stole, and I'm going to, like, turn that into something else, and it's going to be fine. There's a really good anti-sexual harassment scene too when when the old middle aged <laughs> yeah. exec is coming on to Christina Aguilera and she shoots Duke him Duke in, Duke in the crotch with the squirt gun. Yeah, don't tell Nick that Dennis Kamlik never saw this movie because I never did. I, I never saw Jingle All the Way. You didn't see Don't Tell Mom. No, good stuff, Nick. Nice choice, man. Nice choice, Jason. What do you uh, What do you got for your fourth? You're talking to me all wrong. It's the wrong tone. You do it again. I'll stab you in the face with a soldering iron. <laughs> hey, tell me, does your mother sew? Boom! Get her to sew that. I have no idea. Wow. Joe Dirt. Joe Get Dirt. the hell out of here, Joe Dirt. Never saw it. Joe Dirt is the very, very poor man, the redneck version of Barry Lyndon. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's, it's a travesty, but... David Spade, right? David Spade, uh, let me see... Uh, Directed by Denny Gordon, who is now uh, he directs television. He does uh, Empire and uh, Jack Ryan, um, starring Brittany Daniel, Dennis Murphy, or Dennis Miller rather, uh, Christopher Walken, Fred uh, Fred Ward, um, inexplicably Kid Rock <laughs> at the Rock. height of Kid Rock's fame. Um, I love the voyage, man, and it's it's a positive message. A guy guy gets abandoned by his parents. He's trying to find his parents. Um, his best friend is the absolutely gorgeous Brittany, uh, Brittany Daniel. She looks lovely. In any event, Joe Dirt is on this mission to find his birth parents. And he goes on all these adventures and he meets these, these really wonderful, great friends who stick with him. As he's on this mission, he finally meets his parents. They're degenerates who left him on purpose. Um, it crushes his spirit, breaks his heart. Um, uh, he gets his break because he's he's working as a janitor at an L.A. radio station that is um, their big uh, draw is this DJ named uh, Dennis. Well, Dennis Miller's character. And so he, he brings him on and he's recapping his whole story about who he is and where he's from. And it like people are genuinely interested. And I was like, man, this is actually really entertaining because he's like he's going through all this. And, and the, the, the the tag is. um not the tag, but the, his catchphrase is, you know, life's a garden, dig it? And I was like, it's actually kind of cheesy, but it's 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 better than live, laugh, love. And my guy's <laughs> uplifting. Like, he stays positive throughout all these terrible things that happen to him. And I was like, yeah. there's actually a good message in all of this. Like, if you're showing kids this, like, there's, there's some positivity here because he's enduring all this terribleness. Right. And he's still maintaining positivity. And he's still open to new friendships and meeting new people Fantastic and selection. enjoying the life that's around him, you know, and like he says frequently, life's a garden. 
dig yeah. it. And I'm like, man, that's actually, you know, wrapped up in this cornball ass story. There's a really good message here. The one thing I will say that that is very interesting. I thought when we got into this discussion, what was going to be very interesting is like there are certain genres that like lend themselves to this category very clearly. And I was I deliberately avoided the straight up slapstick farce comedies because I thought like, well, most of my favorite comedies could could fit in this. And I could do five. I could do five Fairly Brother movies that could fit this this whole thing by myself. So I deliberately left like obvious comedies because I thought like, well, how do you define like a good or bad obvious comedy? To me, it's like if it made me laugh. I would imagine that I would say, well, then it was successful in what it trying to do. I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I would say it's good because it, it achieved what it was trying to accomplish. Um, Joe Dirt is interesting because he got an SNL star making a clear comedy that he's known for. Like if you say David Spade, one of the, within three guesses of his career, you say, oh, Joe Dirt, because like he's known for that, and he's known because it's a funny movie. Um, I, I it's interesting because like I, I I would wonder like. And what, how you would rate comedies in terms of like what makes a bad comedy so bad that it's good? That's a, that's a hell of a question. I think right. that in this instance, it's the film relies on all these redneck cliches. Yes, so many of them. They're just piled on one one after another. Um, and there's probably some cultural appropriation that takes place. Sure. Um, there's there's some sight gags that don't play. Um, you know, there's there's some there's some uh, you know scatological humor that's eh, whatever. Um, but I love the the overall message, and I love the adventure. That, again, it it's the redneck Barry Lyndon, and I'm here for it. It's hilarious. What a perfect answer! I've seen Barry Lyndon, but I've never seen the redneck Barry Lyndon. There's so the guy with the 2001 Space Odyssey poster behind him. Yes, I'm sure you've seen Barry Lyndon. So this one might be more of a personal deep cut for me. The quote isn't one you're going to get, but I'll read it anyway. Sometimes things don't happen the way you planned. Sometimes you can end up lower than you started. But again, deep cut. 1986, Kevin Bacon. Coming off of Footloose. Flatliner. He decided to play a hotshot stockbroker named Jack Casey, who has a bad day at the office, loses all his money and his parents' money. And he becomes a bike messenger. Quicksilver. Quicksilver, Jason. Oh! Did you ever see I it? Saw it? They made a movie about bike messengers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, listen, this movie is this why it sucks. This movie's crazy. He he plays this bike messenger because he just he gave up the the you know the high the high-end lifestyle being a stockbroker. He just wanted to find himself as a and this is like coming off of Footloose, where he could have probably done basically anything. Whatever he wanted after Footloose. And he does, he does Quicksilver, maybe on paper, it read well, and it just wasn't executed. A lot of weird musical interludes in this movie where these people are in alleys, and they're spinning their bikes in the air. The soundtrack is, is a little bit crazy. Jamie Gertz is in it. There's Ooh. a bad guy named Gypsy. The ending is like trading places where Jack finally goes, gets his mojo back, and he, and he makes a bunch of profitable trades. And Paul Rodriguez, if you guys remember him from the 80s, yeah. he gets enough money to open a hot dog stand. Oh. This is the story. This is, this is the storyline. Um, Lawrence Fishburne plays a rival bike messenger. <laughs> There's a, a scene where basically he and Lawrence Fishburne are dueling, like they're kind of racing yeah. each other through the streets of San Francisco. Jason, going back to what you said earlier, yes, sir. The movie takes place in San Fran. Uh, there's a great song by Roger Daltrey called Quicksilver Lightning, which got some airplay in 1986, I want to say. I also want to say that I may have owned the soundtrack to said film. And, Jim, you'll remember this. 
there was a video store in the neighborhood called Lisa's oh, yeah, Videos, which for many, many months, they had the poster of Quicksilver in the front window. And every time I would drive by, I would be jealous because I, I really loved the movie at 15 years old. So I finally made mom pull us into the, the parking lot one night. I hopped out of the car. I walked in and talked to that old cogity bastard, that guy that ran that, that desk. You know which guy oh, I'm yeah. talking about. And I said, hey, can I get that Quicksilver poster when you're done with it? And sure as fuck, that guy gave me the poster. <laughs> Good for you, man. I have not thought about that movie in a long time. Quick fucking silver. Nor should you. Um, the movie is not very good. It made me miss my 10-speed bike. Um, <laughs> and, and it actually reminded me that I actually used to use a bike messenger service back in 93 when my first job in, in New York. When you needed to get stuff delivered, you called bike messengers. And they'd, they'd come knock on your door. Yeah. And they'd have their their, their pants cuffed up with the with the cuffs and cause they didn't want to get it caught in the chain. You give them your, your parcel and then they would, they would head out and go get it delivered. Quicksilver, not a good movie, but a movie, it holds up nicely. If you ever want to see it, I highly recommend it. I had a hard time finding it. I'm sure you did. Yeah. You might need to go to Apple and just throw down the four bucks and just buy it. But um, anyway, that's a quick one. Cause I know it's not one that was very popular, but Quicksilver has a, has a soft spot in my heart. Jim, take us to the last round and let's Ooh. let's get this thing All right. Well, this is, this is tough now because now I'm 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 going in for my last round and I I'm leaving stuff you know on the field here that I that I want. But we're gonna we're gonna do quick honorable mentions, right? Yeah, we got to do them. Got to do right, them. Sure. Let me let me get into character, and and, and this one's gonna be open for debate. Thirty eight percent Rotten Tomatoes. So the people agree with me. Here we go. I know sometimes I act stupid and I say stupid things. But you kept me around, and other people would have said, drop that bum. You give me respect. You know, it's kind of hard for me to say these things because it, it ain't my way. But if I could just unzip myself and step out and be somebody else, I want to be you. You're all heart, Rock. Get the fuck out of here. You think you think the original fucking Rocky? It's not that fucking original Rocky. What's wrong with you? Rocky 3? That's, that, that, that's Rocky 3. Rocky 3? Rocky 4. I would never put Rocky 3 on the list. Rocky Four is on the list. Whoa! I don't think you can do that. This is this is the Whoa. one when I took my garbage out that Matt next door. If you're listening to this, I told him that Rocky Four was on the list. He's like, "No way! Do not put Rocky Four on the list." You I can't said, put Rocky Four on the bad movie list. It's good bad movies. I didn't put it on the bad movie list. Do you understand what this pot is? It's the good bad movie. Oh my god! He's like throwing the damn towel. All right. I'm just saying this. Maybe maybe Apollo Creed doesn't die if he doesn't do a five-minute choreographed dance routine with James <laughs> fucking Brown before he fights an enormous rushing. Maybe don't do that before you walk into a heavyweight fight. Oh, also, yeah. also one-third of that movie is montage. A full one-third of the oh, movie. Oh, sure. How great was that montage? Montage. How great was that soundtrack? Kicked total ass for me in 1986. That or eight, was it 85? 85. He put the yoke right uh, in the that, shoulders and right in the snow, just running high knees Rob, right in the snow. Fucking Robert Tepper. There's no easy way out. You have John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band doing doing Hearts on Fire. There's great stuff on that soundtrack. He's, Not, like, he's like a piece of iron. What? Right? It's and, unbelievable. And, and Duke, Duke was so good as his manager in that. Listen, you know, when Apollo died, a piece of me died. With you guys it. are giving all the reasons. I said soundtrack is fabulous. I said montage yes. after wonderfully glorious montage. I said it's a yes. fucking Rocky film, and I was like, they kill Apollo, so it's got a lot of good stuff. But it also has writing like this. During this fight, I seen a lot of changing in the way you feel about me <laughs> yeah. and in the way I feel yeah. about you. 
in, the, in yes. here, they're two guys killing each other. But I guess that's better than 20 million. I guess what I'm trying to say is that if I can change, and if you can change, everyone can change. That's right. that's good writing right there, right? I mean, I, I would say that's solid. That's <laughs> that ended the cold. That's the writing that ended the Cold War, fellas. That's the war, writing that ended the fucking Cold War. Come on. There it is. Stallone ended the Cold War for us, folks. Right Nick, before he did it. Nick, all I'm saying is this. An average heavyweight boxer can deliver a punch at 800 PSI. Ivan Drago punches at 2,000 pounds. That's all I'm that's saying. That's excessive. That's excessive. Um, so, yeah, that's that's. He was number. on the anabolic steroids, no? He was on the antibiotics. It was a message for the kids. Steroids cheating equals you get your ass kicked by the Italian stallion. Boom. Rocky Four is the one with the robot, right? Yes. Yes. The one with the robot where he trains in Russia. Yep. He trained in Russia. High knees Jeez. with a plow on the back in the snow. Nick Malone, your top four rank, your rank to four, top four Rocky movies in order. Yes. You. Well, obviously, number one, because he got nominated for Best Picture. We all know that. They won Best Picture. It sure did. I would say <laughs> over all the president's men, but whatever. I would go Rocky <laughs> one, three, four, two. Rocky Balboa. Jason's a Rocky five, <laughs> and then Rocky five is terrible. There's no, There's such, no such thing as Rocky, Rocky five. five. You knock that shit off right now. <laughs> just throw it right. Just take it right off. It never happened. Jaws, Jaws three does not exist. Shut your mouth. Yes. Or it doesn't exist in 3D. Space? I don't know. What happened to Jaws, the Jaws in space? I don't know. I can't believe you fucking put a, no, uh, you put a Rocky movie. That's that's ridiculous. You put a Rocky movie on this list? Or is a good, bad film. I love the Stallone. The Stallone was fantastic. That was great. That was good stuff. Hey, really really quick, because this is my last turn. Useless trivia. In the Italian dub of the movie, Ivan Drago's line, I must break you, was translated as, I break you in two. And I don't know Italian. T spiezzo in due, complete with fake Russian accent. It became by far the most famous quote from the movie in Italy and quickly entered wow. everyday speech. What? I break you in two. You go up to somebody in Italy and say, that. I break you in two, they buy you a fucking sorbet. So I'm just saying. Oh, I didn't know this. Or, or, they, or they break you in two. Well, something's, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Gonna get a reaction. They definitely, out, they definitely outdress you. There, there's that. I'm going to hijack this spot and go next, hijack. and then I'll let you and Jason finish it. There's a reason why I'm going to go next, and you'll hijack. know it in a second. So here, I'm going to I'm gonna do my movie. This is the opening. It's not Rocky <laughs> Five. That movie doesn't exist. <laughs> Here's the opening voiceover. In America, there's a burglary every 11 seconds. An armed robbery every 65 seconds. A violent crime every 25 seconds. A murder every 24 minutes. And 250 rapes a day. I saw Jason getting all excited. What is it, Jason? No, I'm not saying it. Go. You're a disease. I'm the cure. The, the matchstick. Is this Cobra? Cobra. He's like, this is, this is where the law stops and I start. <laughs> You're a disease and Cobretti? I'm a cure. What was his name? Cobra? He cuts a pizza with a folding knife. I don't, what are you talking about? It's so bad. It's so, so bad. Cobra, 1986, uh, directed by George P. Cosmatos, who also directed Rambo, First Blood Part Two, and Nick Malone's favorite movie, Tombstone. <laughs> Delightful. Why does it suck? Also got fired, I believe. Yeah. This movie clocks in at 87 minutes. You got to love the running time. Um, st apparently, Stallone insisted on a shortcut because they were worried about going up against Top Gun 
that's that same summer. Valid. Um, Valid. This is back when Stallone was writing his own movies. It's a cardboard script. It's very much by the numbers. Tough guy cop, the best there is, plays by his own rules, bureaucratic department, a leak on the inside. It's all there in this crappy movie. This movie has a murderous cult. They stand around in this warehouse chanting while they're banging axe handles in the air. Chang, chang. Chang, chang. You don't see that a lot in movies. These are nasty people. Um, chang, chang. Rumor has it. This was a, a very challenging film set. Stallone was a huge pain in the ass while they were making it. There's a ton of unused footage from the movie. It, it, it sort of feels like there was a whole other 30 minutes that's, that are that exists somewhere <laughs> that was never released on this movie. Um, it's very incoherent at times. It doesn't. It feels like there should have been a longer, more sensical version of this movie that was released, but it, it never did. Here's why it doesn't suck. Marion Cobretti, what a great character. I mean, that's got to be high on the list for Stallone characters. He keeps a matchstick in his mouth the entire movie. It's also on the poster. Um, great opening sequence in the supermarket. And there's a great David Rash cameo. David Rash was a big deal in the 80s. He was in Sledgehammer. And he was also played Carl yeah. in Succession. Yes. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, He plays Bridget Nielsen's fashion agent or something. And then the Night Slasher, who's yes. the bad guy in this movie, you know, he, he kills him in a parking lot. Um, as I said earlier in Jim's uh, Rocky IV, Robert Tepper, he also had a great music montage in, in, in uh, Rocky IV. He has a great song, another montage called um, Angel of the City, where basically Marion Cabretti is trolling the city at night looking for clues. Uh, what else? He met his future wife in this movie. That has to count for something. And then again, the poster not, not only has one but two taglines. Crime is a disease, meet the cure, and then it's the strong arm of the law. Fucking Cobra. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Anything else? Jason, anything you want to add on Cobra? Okay. Um. <laughs> Took his hat off for this. Jesus, that's respect. He's in. Uh, obscenely bad. <laughs> really bad. It's incomprehensible. It's, it's borderline stupid. <laughs> sure. Lord Sugarcoat, what do you really think? At one point, to demonstrate just how hard and tough and cool he is, Marion Cobretti sits at his desk, opens up a pizza box, yeah. takes a slice of pizza like an ordinary human being, yeah. pulls out a folding knife, cuts the pizza in half, and eats the slop. Just eats it. <laughs> With his sunglasses on, black aviators indoors. Love like, indoors. Just that's, to prove how tough. Once again, I know that Don Simpson basically funneled all the cocaine out of Bolivia into Hollywood. I'm just wondering how much was in the studios to greenlight this nonsense because it's so bad. I'll leave Cobra with this. I, I had a lot of stock in John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band in the sure. mid-80s. They were sort of a big deal. And they close out Cobra with a great song called Voice of America's Sons, which doesn't really belong. I don't know why it's in this movie, but it is. But it's a good song. You should go check it out. <laughs> Nick, what's your last one? And then we're going to let Jason close it out. Wow. <laughs> last one. <laughs> Number five. <laughs> well, I, I'll start with a quote because Do I've it. done that with the other ones. Um, you break my record. Now I break you like I break your friend. <laughs> There's fists of flying where anabolic steroids are probably being used because we're freaking pumped up. It's this phenomenal is movie. 1988. This is 1988. This is this is a kick you in the mouth movie. Think Kumite, 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 Kumite. 
This is blood sport, baby. We're entering the world of a blood sport. Can I just say something real quick on blood sport? I'm sorry. I got to interrupt now before you get going. This movie does not belong in this podcast. What What are you talking about? No, I veto your veto. I veto your veto. This is a good, bad movie. We just we literally just did a world where Rocky Four got fucking put on this in this podcast. Bloodsport's phenomenal. It's a great movie. It's not a bad movie. It's a good movie. <laughs> oh, no, we didn't. Come on. Come on. Get the fuck out of here with yeah. I want to do a whole episode on Bloodsport for crying out loud. It's the movie that made Van Damme catapult into superstardom. Um, the acting. Well, here, what we got to you, you, your question: Why does it suck? Well, you got to go to the acting. The, the plot itself is a little bit suspect. The 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 acting can be hit or miss here and there. The reason why you forgive it is because of the fact of like the action is so good. It's so good. The fighting scenes, like the whole tournament, like the the fighting sequences throughout, they're so engaging. They're so good. There's some crazy characters, and uh, you know Van Damme's fight scenes throughout them are great. They literally uh, spun the whole Mortal Kombat video game series off trying to re- recreate this film. Uh, but Van Damme became a big star because of this. After this, he made all those action films because how good he was in this. Uh, but would you say he's a good actor? Probably not. Would you say the script is anything good? No. Probably not. But... Do you forgive it? Of course you do, because it's so good. It's so fun to watch. If this thing is on, I don't know a guy that's you know thirty five and up that wouldn't watch this to its conclusion the second it's on the TV. He's uh, he's he's uh, he's clearly not American, but he's playing American. But we don't even question it. He he trains whatever, and he goes and he does this tournament, and he goes in there and he, and he well then the reason another reason why it kind of sucks. It's based on Frank Dukes, and Frank Dukes is like he, you know, he said all these things. Turns out that it all got debunked. He didn't do any of this stuff. Like the real life Frank Dukes never fought in a thing in his life. <laughs> he was, he's he's a hundred percent a fraud. Yeah, he never he's did a like, thing. Pretty good, pretty good martial arts movie, right? I mean, it's not into the dragon, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I always, I always loved the fighter Paco, who kept his 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 fists up, outturned to the, to his opponent, and was a kickboxer. That was my dude, and he made it. All oh, he makes it all the way to the semifinals. He gets pretty far, gets Paco. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Paco stand. I'm here for it. Was, that was and then if you look at the trivia, apparently one of the scenes, Hussein, Van Damme actually uh, fucking knocked the dude out with his elbow, and they kept the take. <laughs> they kept it. Van Damme was a legitimate kickboxer. He was he was like, he was legit. Like, uh, yeah. For all, for all the jokes and the cocaine and the hoopla and all that and all the fame and all the, the downfall, he was a legit fighter back in his day. Van Damme was cut up in this film. He was built up, and uh, Chong Lee was a big dude, and a lot of those guys were big freaking dudes. Like, it was not well, that's, bad. That's I mean, Enter the Dragon connection, because he was Bolo in Enter the Dragon. Booms. Well, all I know is, like, this this episode, we've already had two movies that have been identified that I'm doing episodes for this year. One of them is Roadhouse. The other one is Bloodsport. Um, I love Bloodsport. I still, I'm still questioning whether or not that belongs in this episode, but that's your choice. Jason, bring us in. It's late for the East Coast. Um, the film I'm going to mention is a remake of a 70s cult classic. Um, it probably holds the record for most Academy Award winning actors in a film that's shit. <laughs> um, if, if I counted correctly, there are 11 Academy Award nominations amongst the actors in this movie. Um, it's a Nick Cage vehicle. Ooh, think about it now. Oh, this Who, is this is this this must be. Is this is this um, Con National Air? Treasure? No, this is not Con Air. 
not national. <laughs> you got John Boyd in that. I although although when you think about it, yeah, it's not bad guess. Helen Mirren and John Boyd. Vampires makes yes. total sense. <laughs> no, Robert Duvall, Angelina Jolie, Nicolas Cage. Oh my God! Not in sixty together. seconds. I'm talking about Gone in sixty. Oh, that's right. That's right. Wow, that's right. Delroy Lindo. The superb Delroy Lindo is in this movie as Detective Lieutenant Hasselbeck. A young Timothy Oliphant is is, is in this movie. Um, okay, here's why it's bad. Um, it makes no sense. It's incomprehensible. It, it's ridiculous to even consider the idea that some guy who runs all the auto stealing in yes. Los Angeles County, right, all the way down you know, to, to Long Beach – and San Pedro is going to mandate that 50 cars <laughs> get stolen. And then all these guys, a retired car thief who's sure. running a go-kart track out in the middle of the desert, right, gets called back by his old-time buddy, right, who's got a limp from, from their crimes back in the day. And his kid brother, Kit Reigns, is now the go-to guy to steal cars, first of all, being the go-to guy to steal cars in LA seems like a dubious distinction. Like I wouldn't broadcast that. It's like the James Bond films, like being an internationally recognized spy defeats the point of being a spy, right? Being a a recognized car thief defeats the point of being a car thief. You're not supposed to be well known, but then they get his big brother, played by Nick Cage, who's the most legendary car thief in all of Los Angeles, to come and steal 50 cars in one night. So you get Robert Duvall. And again, this goes back to those cliches we talked about. I love a get-the-gang-together scene. And Gone in 60 Seconds is a superb get-the-gang-together scene. Um, you got Vinny Jones, right, the Scottish footballer who comes in, uh, yeah. really well-known from the Guy Ritchie films. He's in. Robert Duvall who's one of the greatest actors of his generation ever, ever, right? Ever. He just shows up like, yeah, I'm going to be this. I'm going to be Otto, right? The car mechanic fixer upper guy. That's me now. Um, Angelina Jolie with a really, really poorly thought out blonde dreadlock thing going on. (laughs) What? (laughs) Nick Cage is just cool. And, like the 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 lowrider scene, right when he's getting everybody together and he pulls his his leather jacket out of the box, he's like, "I'm a bad man," and he asks Donnie Estricky, right, to low low lowrider, and he they they play it, and all and all the old timers are like get, starting to get their groove on, and all the young guys are like, "What in the fuck is happening right now?" It's hilarious. It's absurd. The inst- stealing fifty cars in one night's just uh, it, it's bananas. You know, they're stealing Ferraris and Porsches and Cadillacs. And you're like, I, it, it would have been cooler. It would not have been so bad if they had focused more on the cars. But stealing that particular Mustang, that's a Carroll Shelby Mustang. There are not many of those around, right? And if if there are not a whole lot of guys are driving them regularly, they're in garages and they're very well maintained. That's Jason's second film of the evening with Angelina Jolie, oh. just for those keeping score. Yeah. And then, and for the, everybody else that's keeping store, we've had three titles from Sylvester Stallone tonight. We had Rocky Four, which Nick is a little bit upset a about. Upset. We had Demolition Man, and we had and Cobra, Marion Cobretti, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger had two films tonight. We had Jingle All the Way, Pleasant Surprise for My Brother, and we also had with the other Schwarzenegger's Commando, which was mine, which was stolen. <laughs> Nicholas Cage had two films tonight. Face off, Nick Cage, and Gone in 60 Seconds, Nick Cage. Let's do some honorables, guys, and then we're going to end this, this uh, crazy conversation. Right, first, first movie I wrote down for this whole exercise, I, 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 and I didn't use it because I thought I was really dating myself, was Cannonball Run. Oh! I had oh. that. I had nice that. 1981 nice Hal Needham directed film. So that was on my list. And then the only other movie I'm going to throw out is, again, I referenced my friend Matt next door at the, uh, at the garbage can. I said, we're doing this, the best, best bad movies. And he's like, well, I hope somebody's doing Starship Troopers. And I'm like, fuck, Starship <laughs> Troopers. Like, how can that not be on your list? Starship Troopers is the movie that I took off my list that I put face off on. I thought one of you guys would say Starship Troopers. That's it. That's my list. Starship Troopers is a good one. Uh, Nick, honorable mentions. What do you got? For the uh, for honorables here. Um, no deep dive. They live. They live. We were talking about John Carpenter earlier. We didn't say, you know, they, oh, they live with, right. the, with Roddy right. Piper and Keith David and the ridiculous action or the fight scene that lasted, what, 10 minutes or 15 minutes? <laughs> a never-ending uh, fight yeah. scene between Piper and Keith David. Uh, you know, they wear the sunglasses and you see the sunglasses, you can see who the aliens are kind of thing. It was a good movie. Uh, I'll go with that. I was also tempted to put on here RoboCop. Oh, that would have been nice. Well played. Peter Well. A little uh, Paul Verhoeven, yeah. sure. I'll take it. As a Detroit kid, I'll take it. Jason, any honorables? I kicked around uh, over the top um, because an arm wrestling movie is just hilarious. Um, I kicked around 1995's Mortal Kombat, one of the very first video game ever films. That was interesting. I mentioned, uh, you guys mentioned earlier, Con Air from 1997. Um, That's just an incomprehensible mess. I love it. Um, So, that's a Nick Cage movie. That's a Stallone movie. So let, let me let me just complete the trifecta with also right. on my list. I maintain that the last action hero is actually deeply subversive and kind of brilliant in its own way. Um, F. Murray Abraham, Art Carney, Charles Dance, Tom Noonan, Anthony Quinn, and Sir Ian McClellan are in that film. And, and it's a great commentary on the nature of what action films are. And sure. uh if only Schwarzenegger hadn't been in the lead, like we really could have done something with that. But my number one that I left off the list was number six on my slot. Um, this is ridiculous. There's a 1985 film starring Kirk Thomas, the three-time gymnastics world champion called Jim Cotta. I've seen Jim Cotta. It's a fucking horrible movie. <laughs> I, I love it. It's so bad. It's okay. So here's the deal. Um, Kirk Thomas plays Kirk Thomas, right? Because we don't want to. We don't want to stress anything. Um, Kirk was legitimately a three-time gymnastic world champion, and there's this weird country uh, that ends in Stan. The only way for the U.S. government to gain access to this information is to create this secret government mission for Kirk Thomas to go and participate in this competition they have locally called the game, (laughs) which no one's won in 900 years. And he's a gymnast. And so he goes to this place to compete in the game and conveniently all the weapons that take that, that that are available when he's encountering all the bad guys bear a striking resemblance to gymnastics (laughs) materials. 
because we all find pummel horses. Yeah, in yeah every city you square. just throw them out there. Yeah, I love it. It's incredibly bad. The love sequence is just ridiculous, but I'm here for it because the sound effects are so delightfully cheesy. And Kirk Thomas is, le- I mean, he's a legitimately a world class athlete. He's a three time gymnastics world champion, and he's doing these really ridiculous things. And you're just all in. I don't know how to follow Jim Connor, but I'm, I'm going to try. So let me give you a couple of mine. I already talked about Starship Troopers. That was on my list. That was really close to making my five. Um, I've got I've got Remo Williams. The Adventure Begins oh, with uh, yes. Fred Ward and uh, Joel Gray. Big fan of Remo Williams. I have License to Drive with the two Corys from Ooh. 1988. Steve Cosolino and I have a lot of love for that movie. It's it's really stupid, but it's actually kind of funny. Summer School with Mark Harmon and uh, Kirstie Alley. Really funny Carl Reiner comedy. I think it might have been one of the last films that Carl Reiner directed. The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy. Um, oh, which is really it, It's really not very good. And it's like How he, did that not make your list? He followed up Beverly Hills Cop with The Golden Child. Golden Child sick. What's don't your let thought Con- on that? Don't let Condon hear you say that. That's an awesome the movie. Golden Child sucks. <laughs> you don't like it? I don't. I want the knife. Good, I want please. the knife. It's I want my paycheck, please. That movie <laughs> is not very good. Boys, this was a blast. I'm not sure if we we really uh, figured anything out tonight, but it was really fascinating to see all your films. Um, I didn't see a couple of Jasons, which I'm a little bit disappointed. I didn't see Joe Dirt. Um, and there was another one you had that I didn't see. What was the other one? Breaking Two. I've never seen Breaking Two. I mean, I... I mean, I remember when it came out, but I but I never saw it. So I, I felt like I couldn't contribute. I apologize. Thank you, guys. A pleasure. I love you all. And uh, we'll be back with another episode sometime soon. Thanks, Slap. Total pleasure. Have a good night, boys. This was a good one. Take care, guys. Where you wanna go to get away?